0: I'm Elena Hudgens-Lyle.
1: And I'm Harvinder Vadva.
0: We're the hosts of Inappropriate Questions, and we're back with Season 3.
1: With some fantastic guests, we break down questions like...
0: Is asking where are you from appropriate small talk? Is it okay
1: to ask a co-worker how much do you make?
0: Should you ask a polyamorous person do you get jealous?
1: Inappropriate Questions Season 3. Available now on the CBC Listen
2: app or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC podcast.
3: Hello, I'm Martine Saint-Victor and I'm Isabelle Rascico and this is Seat at the Table. And this season we're focusing on the power of the Black Lives Matter movement, the urgency of this moment and how to move forward
1: since the murder of George Floyd, it's been impossible to ignore the demands for equality and social justice. In the United States, in France, in Canada, we saw that cities set the tone, right? With protests and, and demands and changes have to start from there like the power of the cities and that's why we're speaking to two people trying to harness the power of city yeah. politics to make a change.
3: They both aspire to be mayor of their respective cities one day uh, Balarama Holness in Montreal and Saron Gabri Selassie in Toronto. They both have been you know, quite outspoken about what needs to change to improve the lives of Black, Brown, and Indigenous people at the micro and at the macro level. So, you know, they remind me of the young leaders like Malala and Greta Thunberg and, you know, mm-hmm. AOC, as I like to call her. Yes, your friend. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So Balarama Hollis recently uh, gained some international attention because he was profiled in the New York Times. And the title, and I love this, the title of the article was The Man Striving to Be the Canadian Obama. And in it, journalist Dan Bilewski reminds us that Balarama is an activist, a radio host, a law student, and because that's not enough, and apparently he has more than 24 hours in a day, he's also a former football player. Yep, And also he's the man who's responsible for forcing the city to hold hearings on systemic racism. That's right,
3: that's right. And Saron Gabry Selassie, she calls herself the people's lawyer. I love that. And when she ran for mayor in 2018, she was focused on universal affordability, Indigenous sovereignty, police reform, civil rights, anti-poverty, mental health, and social justice—you know, just a, a small list of things. <laughs> to both of you, welcome to seat at the table.
0: Merci beaucoup. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: First of all, um, do you two know each other? Have you met on an overachiever anonymous meeting?
2: <laughs> <laughs> this
0: <is> so funny. <laughs> No, I'm surprised we haven't met Balerama. This is a big day.
2: <laughs> this is a big day. Who knows? Well, you know, we need more collaboration between Toronto and Montreal. So, you know, the issues that happen in Toronto are also present here and vice versa. So who knows? Maybe there's a collaboration on the horizon.
1: Please remember to thank Isabel and I when you both accept the Nobel Peace Prize.
3: <laughs> uh, guys, you know, for the past few months, Martina and I have been going through, you know, um, a roller coaster of emotions. Um, so, for people like you who have been fighting the fight for a long time, how are
0: you feeling right now? Like, you know, what's your state of mind? I was saying, it's this is normal life now, and uh, and this moment in terms of everything we're seeing around the world, all of us here, we're we're so personally impacted. We you can't sit it out, and part of it is disrupting business as usual. And so I've um I accept that.
1: And and you said recently, speaking of this moment, uh Saron that it feels like a spiritual awakening. What do you mean by that?
0: Yeah, you know, I'm not a r I'm not a churchgoer or, or a particularly religious person at all, at all. And um and when I saw what I feel is the Berlin Wall falling and kingdoms falling and um and the weak taking on the powerful and all of these these pieces it does bring out, you know, some of those bigger questions around what is happening right now and what is our role. And I, I certainly see my role as being a sort of just an instrument. So I have a, I'm a lawyer, so I have a law license, and then I also have other weapons in in this arsenal. And I I am tapping into those bigger questions around being an instrument for. A larger purpose. Well, you're
3: talking about the fall of the Berlin Wall, and it's funny because a few days ago I was with uh, Franz Voltaire who's a well-known historian here in Quebec, and he says that it's—he feels it's the end of an era, an era that started with slavery. Imagine, like I don't know if if you guys, but Balarama, are you optimistic? I saw you smile when when I said these words. <laughs>
2: Well, okay. Well, when we talk about kingdoms falling and castles falling, I am not sure what we refer to. I think this is a continuation of the civil rights movement, but we still do not have democratic representation. And I think the the next level of the civil rights movement is one of democracy. Uh, however, I would be cautious to say that this is the end of an era when we still have, as mentioned, voter suppression. The wealth gap between women of color and white men is still large. Uh, Thomas Piketty spoke at length uh, about this in his book, uh, Capital in the 21st Century, how generational wealth has led to this income gap. So I'm very optimistic, and I wake up every morning with a lot of optimism. Mm-hmm. But you know, to talk about Berlin Walls falling and Castles falling— someone would have to tell me that we have a new judiciary and judges are now diverse Mm -hmm. and the 30 percent indigenous population in uh prisons are going to go to restorative justice um retreats to rehabilitate them Mm -hmm. um and and sports infrastructures will be all around canada even in the poorest boroughs uh there'll be uh equal pay for equal work we'll have access to health care and social services I do not see <laughs> no Berlin Walls falling. There's an and optimistic
3: just, guy. <laughs> no,
2: no. But, and, 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 and you also have to be a realist, right? So yeah. what I see on the judicial side, I, I, I don't see it. Um, but we're working towards it.
1: Give us an example of what changes need to be made in the judicial system.
2: Very simple. You you need you need to democratize the legal education. You need to have more people of color who are able to attend law schools. You need, therefore, a more diverse bench training for judges to ensure that we're not just taking poor people off the streets who have mental health uh, disabilities and putting them in, in prisons. We have to think about the way that you know, judges are adjudicating some of these cases. We need more conditional sentences. We need so many things in the judicial system. But it starts with law schools. I am a minority in law school. And anytime I speak about something about inclusion, diversity, or race, I get people turning their eye towards me saying, what is this guy talking about? So you need to have a democratic institution, not just politically, but through our education system. And it be, has to be more diverse because law schools are not safe spaces for people of color to talk about these issues.
3: Mm-hmm. And Saran, you're a lawyer.
0: Yeah, you know, the judicial system, I am so beside myself at, like every day at how unfair the whole the whole judicial system is. The average person doesn't have access. And, you know, I've been in the industry for a while, six years, which is, you know, I'm not like a 30 year veteran, but I've seen enough to know that this, this way of operating is so frightening to me. And you know what, I'm, I'm glad that I'm frightened by it, because I I think that, you know, going into a courtroom and seeing how everybody is just saying, oh, another day at the office, just another file. They've uh, casualized a type of battery that takes place in our criminal courts, for example. And I, I refuse to accept it. I disavow it, uh, This the judicial system's way of operating as it is. and um, And also very, very conservative. Like, when I say conservative, I mean, you know, as conservative as you can imagine, on the cultural spectrum, on the political spectrum, and um, and so I, um, I I refuse to color within the lines, and um, and have had a lot of success on behalf of Canadians um, who have battles in our courts. We bring in international players, the UN Special Rapporteur on on disabilities. Anyone that comes to my office knows if you if you want your file to be run kind of through a bureaucracy, please go somewhere else. But if you are looking to be completely unconventional, to take some risks, to put yourself at risk um, and to maybe fail in the process, then I'm on board.
1: Mm. I mean, you talk about what's happening in in courts, but what about boardrooms? I know, you know, right now people are panicking in boardrooms because... (laughs) (laughs) Panicking is the right word. (laughs) Because they don't know how to handle the situation. Uh, You suggested solutions for the justice system. What are your solutions for the boardrooms across Canada beyond posting a black square on their Instagram?
2: When we look at people in positions of power in public life, it's homogenous. We are under 2% visible minorities at management positions within the city of Montreal, within 24,000 employees. And in a democracy, how could we tell the private sector to have diverse boards when the public sector is homogenous? Exactly. So I think it has to start with city halls.
1: Mm-hmm. But, but corporate culture, doesn't it start in, in companies Because changes in in government, all government levels, is so slow.
2: But this is the thing. Montreal has a $5 billion budget, and they do allocate a certain amount of contracts and legal services and engineering contracts to a lot of different companies. And they can, with facilitation, say, if your board has homogenous, we're not giving you this contract. Mm -hmm. Now, imagine the government of Canada. If you're going to get funding from the federal government... Whether it's a subsidy, whether it's regardless, well, you're going to have to have a certain level of diversity within your board. So those are some solutions. It's more coercive. It's a little bit more, I would say, rigorous. Um, but that's one option. I'm just, there's many others, but that's one angle.
3: But, Simon, what about Toronto? When I go to companies, I, I see more diversity. So do you find that it's a lot more diverse in the rest of Canada and particularly in Toronto?
0: The battle around diversity is 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 so long, and it's you know it's in every sector, it's in every industry, and um, and Toronto battles this as much as any other part of, of our country, you know, and it's not just cultural. I'm I'm an have an unapologetic sort of vision for the working class of my city, and and diversity also includes having the working class at the table, so. I try to model this in my own governance structures. Um, I hire and pay inmates, for example, to provide expertise, consulting expertise that then informs some of the planks of the platform. Hmm. I want, you know, yeah, it's so rich. You would be stunned, like the kind of knowledge capital that these members of our community bring. And that's tied into my core values around I genuinely believe that all members of the human family are equal, bring richness to the table, and that I, I cannot dispose of any members of our community. Um, and so at the decision-making tables, uh, I also bring cab drivers, domestic workers, um, working class people. And the brilliance, like the the fantastic ideas and um, that have come out of that is something that uh that we all benefit from. And so I encourage that. And it's not just in my own decision-making tables. Uh I I speak about that all the time with other stakeholders in my in my industry and in other sectors. You can't have an echo chamber. You can't have a you know a a, a city that has these multiple worlds and we're just never interfacing. It's not natural. Um and so that's That's what I where I
1: come from with it, and and it's been successful. Since the murder of George Floyd, I've I've been doing a lot of introspection, and I'm listening to both of you. And you've put you know your 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 foot to the pedal and demanded changes and offered solutions. And for a citizen like me who votes. in elections and wonder what else I can do. Um, what do you recommend?
2: First of all, uh, intersectionality. Not all black people are exactly the same, mm-hmm. right? And we, we can't get painted with this broad brush. So just because you're black, it doesn't mean you need to be an activist or just, just because you're black, it doesn't mean that you need to uh, stand up for racial rights publicly and take on campaigns and go to marches. Uh, being a a mother taking care of your children, ensuring they're getting the correct education and nutrition and social life and emotional health. Those things, uh, if we all took care of our households, would go a very, very long way. Um, So you don't need to compare yourself to uh, people who have made uh, this their life pursuits. That speaks to a broader point, which is there are no heroes. There is no uh, knight in shining armor that's going to come and rid racial profiling and police brutality or inequities in education. And Obama is the proof. Mm-hmm. Everyone thought Obama yeah. was going to come save the world. It's just one man. So, what does it? It comes from soccer moms. It comes from people in boardrooms, surely. But it comes from artists, musicians, authors. It comes from all different people who play their own role. And motherhood is a huge role. <laughs>
3: yes, I know. I know. It but- takes a lot of wine. <laughs>
2: a lot of wine. A, a, a lot of, you know, and fatherhood is a huge role. Yes. I've changed thousands of diapers and been waking up at wee hours of the morning. So, you know, activism is, I don't want to, you know, sound too trivial, but whether it's changing a diaper or going to a march, there's all these kinds of different uh, activities and someone something more a little bit more pleasant maybe helping someone cross the road or seeing someone as a good Samaritan in need of help and and extending that helping hand those are the kinds of things that are gonna truly advance you know the moral arc of justice you know towards positivity he smashed pretty much every billboard and streaming record that matters
0: it has already been streamed more than a billion times billion. People still to this day point to, this is the moment everything changed.
2: But whether you agree with those claims or not, this podcast isn't really about him. Either you're not an astute businessman or you're inherently racist when it comes to black music in this country. This is not a Drake podcast. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Have you ever been afraid to, to, to speak out about injustices?
2: I have nothing to lose. I have, I have nothing to what? lose. I I I don't I, I don't want a corporate job. I don't need any political favors from anybody. I have absolutely nothing to lose.
1: So no. So so you're not afraid. You've never missed an opportunity to speak out.
2: I've I've called out CBC publicly for underfunding black programs on CBC. Wow. I will call out injustice where I see it. CBC always talks about racism in the context of using black voices, but not black voices to talk about other things such as motherhood or fatherhood or positive and empowering stories. So calling that out, we will always do that because the same way I don't need the mayor to to first see at city council, I don't need CBC to have this conversation because I I feel empowered by my own abilities. We mentioned uh, tools and having an arsenal, Uh, whether you're a lawyer, myself, I'm a lawyer as well, uh, and I can speak English and French in Quebec. Uh, I feel empowered. And that will open the door yes. to other people who won't have the same experiences, whether it's media, whether it's in employment or whether it's housing. We have to call it out because if you're silent, then you are actually perpetuating the issue and it's going to go on to the next generation.
1: What, what about picking your battles?
2: I'm young, I'm vibrant. People say who pick their battles <laughs> are, are, are old and disenchanted. We are always going to step up to the plate when, when that pitch is thrown. When I'm in the dugout or six feet deep, that's when you pick your battles. But right now, my organization, we have 35 members, 95% women, highly, highly educated, who are passionate about taking down the Berlin Wall. The colloquial Berlin Wall or passionate about tearing down that castle.
3: That's Sorry. when he becomes yeah. optimistic. But Saran, Saran, you've been laughing. Please. I I want to hear what you have it. to say.
0: So oh my goodness, I love it so much. I it's a rare day when you when we get to hear that. And I think that's where more of us have to go. We have nothing to lose. Like there's if you just leave your apartment for a day and you look around, you'll see there's a global pandemic on. A fraction of the population is unemployed. All bets are off. So I I wish we could have more people uh, who are willing to say, we're just not afraid anymore. There's nothing to be afraid of. We don't have very much to lose. Um, I will say this though, what I have learned is that with success, I have found that there's a price to pay for that success, such as enemies to be generated I know in my case, we've had a lot, a lot of battles with the Toronto police, with our regulator, who have tried to use my license as collateral in this, in like bigger battles. So I've been told by my regulator that, I don't know if you saw my Twitter account, but I tweeted Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, about police brutality. Um, One of my clients, Moosey, who's very, uh, very vocal now, he alleges, I have to use that language, that he was put into a coma by, uh, by Toronto police service. I tweeted a photo with the permission of his uh, family showing him in the coma and it went it went all around the world and my regulator had a huge problem with that and called the tweet dishonorable wanting of discipline and that battle's been going on for years uh, and over a tweet it was literally a three sentence tweet saying my client tells me that he was put into a coma by the Toronto police service. And so they fight back, they fight back, they fight back viciously. You know, we, when you do this, you operate with many friends, but there are many sharks and wolves lurking in corners. And that's the, that's just the reality of it. And I've accepted that too.
3: I'm still trying to wrap my head around this notion that you guys have nothing to lose because I'm older than you slightly. (laughs) I, and I, I, I have two kids. I I do have a lot to lose. And you guys are young. You have your whole life ahead of you.
2: When I say I have nothing to lose, I really mean I have everything to gain because we're fighting for equality. You're fighting to ensure that Canadian society is reflective of the Canadian constitution.
0: It's better. It's a win for all of us. But don't you have to be in a certain position
3: to be able to have doors opening to you, to be able... Like, I know that you know, I'm able to have you guys on my platform, because I have that platform. So do you understand what I mean? Like, I'm, I, I'm trying to understand because I want to learn also, and I want to be better at this. But I would never be able to say that I've got nothing to lose.
2: If If I could say a, a, a short, a very short story.
3: Go ahead. Palarama. Thank
2: you. <laughs> okay. So I ran for mayor of Montreal North, knowing I was going to lose I was running to prove a point and to highlight the issues in Montreal North. I had everything to gain and nothing to lose because I was unmasking and removing the veil of ignorance on a borough that's ignored. Post-election, when Valerie Plante creates this all-white executive committee, when I call for a public consultation on systemic racism everyone was against me. When I mean everybody, I mean the majority. Whether you are white, whether you're black, whether you're Haitian, who is this half-black, half-white kid with a funny name who's going to represent me? The issue is, or the value is, when you have everything to gain and you're on the right side of history, you keep marching. Mm -hmm. The same Mm -hmm. way John Lewis marched. And eventually, people will say... This person is an honorable, authentic individual who is willing to sacrifice himself for the cause. When Martin Luther King is writing his letter in Birmingham jail, you see the power he has, even though he's locked in chains in a jail. But he knows he's on the right side of history. He has nothing to lose and everything to gain. And that's why we've had so much success is because there's so many politicians that are there with everything to lose, their salaries, their livelihood. I spent $200,000 on my education. I have five degrees. So there's a heavy price to pay financially, but I go to a different bank and it's the Bank of Equality and Inclusion at the end of the week. And that's why we're on on a different level playing field because we're not playing the money financial game. We're playing the equality constitution game. And and that's why we have nothing to lose and everything to gain.
1: But if I can challenge you just a little bit, because... There's nothing wrong I think with picking your battles. This is a conclusion you come to uh when you're a certain age and you realize that you need to concentrate your energy on certain things. And again, I come back to this introspection that I had and I'm like, okay, how can I best be an ally? Service. You know, yeah. how can I best be because mm-hmm. the, you know, it's not because you're black that you're n- necessarily an ally. You have to do the work.
0: I would just implore <laughs> people we cannot operate in fear. Mm-hmm. So whatever it is you're doing, you know, if you want to speak out at your workplace, if you want to, you know, take on a battle, just go fearless. You know, we don't have anything to be afraid of. I'm, I'm. Those days are gone, mm-hmm. and I think the the movement has showed us that that is just a part of history now. Um, so yeah, I'm very, very inspired. I must say.
3: Well, my kids have already started speaking out all the time. <laughs> I, guess,
0: I guess they're going in the go.
3: right direction. <laughs> but, but, but Arama, um, tomorrow you enter City Hall
1: as mayor of Montreal. Your top three priorities.
2: This is a very, very important question, but also an important distinction to make. An activist and a politician are two different roles. Yeah. When I say pick your battles as an activist, I have an expertise in education and law. So I pick my battles, but I stay in my lane. That is very different from me being in office, because when you're in office, there is a political agenda. So my, my, my number one priority as an elected official here in Montreal would be to get the federal government to institute universal basic income, and I would have the parliamentary budget office analyze the cost of anyone making under $50,000 a year, how much that would cost the whole of Canada, UBI would, I don't want to get too deep into it, yeah. but whether it's health outcomes, whether it's allowing people to contribute to society in their own unique way has a slew of advantages that have been proven both in Ontario and Europe, areas of Africa and post COVID to have a equitable transition to this new normal, what, what they call CERB needs to be expanded. Step two, Montreal is not a city. It's the metropolitan epicenter of Quebec. So Bill 121, that's just a, a law that says that it recognizes Montreal as being a metropolitan city whereby we have more powers. When the Canadian Constitution was created, they didn't think of cities as being the metropolitan epicenters of provinces so provinces got all the powers Mm. but right now toronto is at the mercy of doug ford at the provincial level and here we're at the mercy of francois Legault in many ways so what could we do to ensure that our education system here in montreal with a diverse student body gets curriculum that represents them the curriculum for Montreal cannot be the same curriculum for Abitibi-Témiscamingue. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's not the same population. It's not the same people. It's not the same makeup. So, number one, mm-hmm. UBI. Number two, increased powers. Number three, education.
3: You guys are ready to be mayor,
0: So, well, <laughs> You have to... <laughs> Yes. What would be your three things? My top priority is housing. Yes. I will declare a state of emergency on housing in the city of Toronto. Uh, right now, the average renter is paying more than two thirds of their paycheck towards the rent. So the lion's share of your of of a, a Torontonian's earnings is is gone from right off of the top. Another big priority of mine is culture and arts. Right now, the if you look at the city budgets, the Toronto Police budget has um, more property tax dollars are funneled into the police budget then arts and culture, economic development, libraries, children's services, paramedic services combined. Uh, and so, arts and culture is a part of a healthy, spiritually alive, and, and good city. And uh, in addition, I uh, am a big advocate for mental health, and nothing mm-hmm. has shown yeah. us that better than what we're seeing right now with the sort of mass suffering that people in my city and your city are experiencing on a, on a daily basis in, in many cases and across and,
3: Canada, I would say. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Across the country. And, and we've seen this come to see how that ripples and how that spills over into so many other areas. And I'm calling for mental health services and supports for all.
3: Well, our show is called seat at the table. What does that mean for you?
2: Uh, so it's one thing to have a seat at the table, but it's another thing to be heard. Mm-hmm. So, For everyone listening, whether you are in a boardroom or whether you are the head of CBC or otherwise, the minorities at the table, they certainly have a seat at the table, but do they have a safe space to be heard, just as we had in this podcast, where everyone's heard, everyone's respected and understood. So, yes, they have a seat, but are they heard?
3: I love this.
0: Can can I add to that? You know, it's not just having a seat for for its own sake are we ready to transform the conversations at that table are people ready to 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 hear some uh, crazy ideas that today are crazy and tomorrow are normal i mean in 2 years ago they told me if i declared a vision for defunding the police that all credibility would be lost effective immediately and that's not what has happened and so are we ready to change, to have conversations without fear? Are we ready to be bold and imaginative and unconventional? I, I, I sense that that is what the yearning is for on, on the part of at my base um, here.
3: Well, you guys certainly gave us food for thoughts, and I certainly feel a lot more energized. A lot younger too. Thanks, guys. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I've got nothing to lose, people. <laughs> nothing to
2: lose. That's let's right. go. But mind you, I used to play football also, so I kind of have a different mentality maybe of just like, let's go. The time for
1: the time for bragging is over, Ballerama. Okay? Uh, the time for bragging is over. But it was it was it was enlightening to have you both and your passion is contagious. Yep. And I really hope that you get more platforms to where people can hear you. You know, it's not just to sit at the table; it's really to have the the microphone so we can hear you. So hopefully, this is just the beginning. Thank you. Thank, Thank, you, both. Thank you,
3: guys. Hope you guys will keep in touch now.
2: Yeah. You <laughs> Take care. Bye. Bye. Right. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.
1: Balahama Holness is a polymath, law student, community organizer, and former candidate for mayor of Montreal North. Saran Gabroselasi is a lawyer herself as well, an activist, and also a former candidate for mayor for the City of Toronto. You can follow both on Twitter. at the Table is hosted and produced by me, Martine
3: Saint-Victor, and also by me, Isabelle Rassico. The show is also produced by Melissa Fundira, Eunice Kim, and Justin Doucet. Our mixer is Crystal Duhem. Technical work this week is by Pierre Lévesque. Our senior producer is Tina Verma, and the executive producer of CBC Podcast is Arf Nurani.
1: You can also reach us on Facebook at CBC Seat at the Table or tweet us and don't forget to use the hashtag #SeatCBC. That's right. Until next time. Au revoir. Au revoir.
2: For more CBC podcasts, go to cbc.ca/podcasts.